This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at Upcase.com. Giant Robot Smashing Into Other Giant Robots. Hey everybody, you're listening to the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. I'm Chad Pytel, and today I'm joined by Joanne Cheng, developer extraordinaire in the (laughs) Denver ThoughtBot office. Joanne, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Chad. That's that's quite an introduction. <laughs> I I should have rehearsed it more. I, I apologize. That's, that's fine. Last time you were on the show, it was uh, episode 112. Uh, when was that? Uh, I think it was August. Yeah. And um, you talked about the speaking I've been doing about data-driven documents, D3, and also dashboard design and data visualization and all that stuff. And I wanted to have you back on the show because you've been working on something for ThoughtBot end of the year investment time that use a little bit of that. And that's our 2014 end of the year report. Yeah, I, I created something similar last year. It was more of an internal project. Yeah. But this year, I, the goal was to create something that was more public facing that kind of told a little bit of a story of our year in that format. I hadn't noticed previously that there's an animated movie behind the header. I hadn't, maybe it didn't load when I was looking at it before. Oh, that's, we spent a lot of time, um, actually, Rachel in our office was going around with an iPhone, just kind of taking pictures of people trying to get that effect on the page. I think actually, I bet it was because I've only looked at it on my my phone before, Uh, and I I bet it doesn't show up there. So the report covers our blog content, trends there, authors, popularity, and then the languages used, um, new technologies that we've been experimenting with this year, conferences, and chat statistics. So we'll we'll go over sort of each of those, but let's step back to, I guess, last year, like you said, we, we did an internal one, and I think that's sort of where the origins for this came about. So let's explore that a little bit and where, where, where this came from. Um, how much profanity can I use on the podcast? Oh, we will bleep out anything that you okay. say that we can't have. So, <laughs> All right. Um, so last year, uh, during our end of year investment time, um, the Denver office wanted to work on uh, these sort of robotic things. Like we had a bunch of Arduinos out. We had uh, a drone. And it just failed pretty badly uh, that first day. Like I, I remember actually diving under my desk when the drone was flying because uh, Sean lost control of – or right. sorry, the computer lost control. I don't mean to blame it on Sean. <laughs> um, side note, like, I guess this is kind of an aside. Uh, when drones lose connection with the computer that they're talking to, they just kind of repeat the last command. So you can't stop it basically. Like it, it just won't stop. Uh, so if it's like flying and like going up, then it's just going to keep flying. I feel like this this drones losing their connection and just repeating the last command they have is some like plot to so future science fiction. This is how we're all going to die, yeah, I yeah. think. Well, I remember last year we were all working on internal stuff together and we just in the chat room there was like the drone almost killed us. <laughs> and then a little <laughs> while later I think there was a message like we've scrapped working on this. We're going to work yep. on something else. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, that was that was a story of our our holiday investment time last year. And so, uh, at the end of that first day, I was just kind of uh, talking with a couple of coworkers, and I just kind of blurted out, like, "Be kind of funny to see how many times people said people said the f word in the chat room." 
And so we just started collecting data and then just kind of all worked on that. Like we were, we kind of had these ideas to like do a lot more analysis and kind of create this internal report. Um, and I think we're doing that just because um, Andrew and I, uh, Andrew Cohen, a uh, designer in the Denver office, we were kind of gushing over how awesome the Feltron reports are. Right. And so we were just like, it'd be like so much fun to create something like that for ThoughtBot, like, and just kind of play around with design and metrics and within our company. And so somehow as we were like kind of putting our heads down, just collecting data, the thing that kind of stuck out for us the most was uh, the number of times people said F word in the chat rooms, because there was a distinct pattern um, like the iOS, <laughs> the iOS room after Gordon got hired, like just shot up like in number of uses of the F word. And we just sort of noticed like after summer summit, like the use just shot up as well. And it was, it was just really fun to see that like in a graph and it just kind of took off within the company, but it's just not really something that we're, you know, eager to share with the world right. just because, um, yeah, there's, there's some, yeah, it's more of an internal project. So this year I, I want to do something along the same lines. I want you to create something that kind of told a little bit of a story of our year. And I was just kind of bouncing around ideas in my head and with other people in the company, just figuring out things to display and show and try to count that summed up our year and something that, you know, I think encapsulates our our company is like our use of new technologies and like our writing and our kind of dedication to education. So I, I wanted to focus on on those things. Yeah. And so the 2014 report was born. It lives at 2014.thoughtbot.com. Uh, which we'll link in the show notes. This is episode 130 of Giant Robots, so you can get it at giantrobots.fm slash 130. Uh, everything we talk about is going to be linked there. It's probably worth noting that other people worked on this with you, right? Yes. Yeah. So let's give them credit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Gabe and Joel and Rachel and Desi, yeah, it was us working on it. Um, and we were all collaborating and kind of on Google Hangout, just kind of discussing um, ways to go about this and ways to collect data and visualize it. And I was trying to avoid like kind of this typical corporate infographic type thing and try to focus more on storytelling. But I think this year, like the report was a little, like it was a little scattered, but I was, mm -hmm. I was happy with it because I got a lot of people involved and we all, I mean, we worked together as a team across offices and I thought that was successful. Yeah. So what's the problem with sort of these infographic reports, infographic kind of things that what are the, some of the issues you see? Um, I mean, I've seen infographics and I see a lot of infographics where it's just basically putting a number like on a image or on a page and maybe a, a block that represents like a kind of a fun graphic that represents that number. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really tell you a story. Um, it doesn't really mean anything. It just kind of is a cool thing to look at. Mm -hmm. And there was a talk I saw last year uh, by Jonathan Corum, who does uh, science graphics in the New York Times. He was like kind of saying that like, you know, when you do data visualizations, the, everything should have like an aha moment. Um, like when you're just kind of displaying things on a line graph or like kind of prototyping and playing around with the data, you should kind of look for those aha moments and find mm -hmm. a way to highlight those. And like you want to find a way to display these things without causing too much stress on the reader. Like you just want them to be able to see something and understand and find those aha moments. Mm -hmm. So it was, that's kind of something I keep in mind whenever I create things like this. Yeah. It seems like a lot of the traditional infographics are, are basically focused on visual design. And when you see them as a whole, it's like the only mo aha moment, I guess, is like, that looks pretty. 
Yeah, there's, yeah. There's, and, and then you can read it and it gives you some information in terms of numbers or whatever. But mm-hmm. it, I think you're right. It doesn't tell a story. Yep. So I'm curious for the blog posts. I want to dig into the, sort of the technology or the, if not the technology, then like the strategy that's used for each of these things. Like, so actually we just had an episode where we talked about the technology behind the blog. It's uh, in a GitHub repo. It's a bunch of markdown files. And it's sort of by middleman. Was that enough to do the analysis of the content? Oh, and each one has a YAML front matter that has some tags on it in it. Um, it was mostly enough. We did have to go into Google Analytics to mm-hmm. get uh, view counts. That was one of the biggest things that we were collecting. Um, and I didn't work on collecting the data for mm-hmm. the blog posts, but um, it was rather straightforward just because we were able to pull data from our own blogs pretty easily because right. we have access to that data, uh, that information. But even that scenario, where does the data go? Once you, once you So we have the source data in, in Markdown. Was it pulled into a database where these things can be calculated? Yep. Uh, we, used, we just uh, kind of set up a pretty bare bones uh, standard Rails app and we just wrote a couple of rake tasks to just pull in all the data that we needed. Mm-hmm. And then we also tried to uh, load the data into just uh, kind of CSV file, so we're not like constantly hitting Google Analytics or our own blog database to collect the data. We also Gabe, I know he explored uh, a couple of library. I think uh, libraries. One of which he he talked a lot about was uh, CSV Kit, mm-hmm. and he used that for chats. So I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself, um, but for the most part, uh, we just use the standard Rails app. Now, when someone visits the 2014 page. Are the numbers they're seeing there and the graphs generated live or are they static on the page? They're generated live. Yeah. So if 2014 ever changes, <laughs> this will the, the data here will change. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. If we can go back in time and retroactively release a blog post, things yeah. will change. Yeah. So we wrote 167 blog posts in the, in the year. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest categories were Rails, Ruby, and design. Yep. And there's a really interesting graph that goes along with them. And like, how much thought did you put into what graph or what visualization would properly communicate what you wanted to get across? Um, this particular graph I didn't work on, yeah. um, but I was kind of listening to the conversation that Joel and Gabe were having. They kind of collaborated on this a bit and they were just kind of playing around with different ways. Um, so the graph on this page is also generated by C3, which is kind of this library on top of D3 that just generates uh, graphs a lot easier. Like if you need a line graph or a bar graph, something pretty standard that most people use, you can just use C3 to generate it. Um, and so there was a lot of debate on what they wanted to display because they wanted to display like the tags that we were using and kind of the trend throughout the year. And something that we were trying to convey was like the number of design tags that we produced this year. So, yeah, and we were also trying to like display uh, the number of posts that we just that we wrote mm-hmm. as well throughout the year because um, there's this huge spike in November, but like and then there's kind of this lull in the spring, and I, we thought that was pretty interesting. Right. I, I unfortunately can't talk about this graph yeah. uh, as much as I want to just because I didn't work on this one particularly. That's okay. I forgive you. Oh, uh, yay. <laughs> So then we took the data from the blog and mixed it with the data about each post from Google Analytics. Yes. 
So um, this graph um, before was kind of a similar graph to the one above. It was like a C3 graph. Uh, there was a lot of debate on like how should it be displayed? Like should we display uh, just kind of the top five authors and see like any correlation between the number of posts they wrote and the number of views that they got? There wasn't really a correlation, so I didn't think it fit. I kind of was prototyping and playing around with a couple of ideas. And I had this idea of just kind of displaying each blog post as a separate circle and grouping them by author. So you can still see like how many views an author got for their posts while seeing how many posts that they produce at the same time. And you kind of notice some really interesting things um, when you play around with the interactivity of it. Um, when you hover over any of the bubbles, you get a title of the blog post and you get a link to the blog post. And then you also kind of see like these giant circles where people got a lot of views. And right. what was, I think, pretty interesting is that some of them, like uh, Josh Steiner, for instance, I think he had the most popular blog post of 2014, which was how we test Rails applications, is kind of like a beginner intermediate-ish type of article. But Pat, for instance, like wrote a lot of popular blog posts that were focused around the Unix shell and his posts on types and uh, shipping a Haskell product. Those kind of blog posts also got were really, really popular. Britt also had some pretty popular blog posts. It was like the Back to Basics series, so kind of explaining how Rails works and what's behind Rails. And those were pretty popular posts yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's neat because when I first saw this, I said, oh, this looks good, right? But then it's actually interactive. <laughs> um, so – and when I first saw it, I was like, oh, it's just a visualization. But it, it's it's more than that because it, there, each of these circles is actually a link to the actual post. And you can touch it and, and move it around a little bit too, which is neat. But it's really sort of an interesting directory onto the blog in a way that looks cool. Oh, thank you. That was hopefully the intent. Yeah, it was, it was kind of difficult to come up with this just because uh, this particular section went through so many iterations, but Gabe was working on it and, and then I was working on it and it was hard to find a way to display like so many points because you're, you have the actual blog content, you have the author and you have the number of views that the blog post has and mm -hmm. you want to be able to kind of group that and display that in, a, in an interesting way. Is there something, and <laughs> maybe the answer is no. Uh, but is there some sort of general strategy that you might use when you're sort of faced with the scenario, when you're trying to visualize something? Is it just trying a bunch of different things or, or is it experience? What, what do you think it is? I think it's trying a lot of things mm -hmm. um, and getting feedback because uh, I wouldn't have been able to get to this sort of final product if Gabe hadn't like basically tried a bunch of different things in C3 and kind of looked at mm -hmm. all these different types of patterns. So it's it's kind of trying a lot of things, and then once something clicks, you just kind of have to trust your gut, and hopefully it works out. And I, I think it worked out really well in this this scenario. And also, uh, just another thing to add about this visualization, it was done in D3 entirely uh, using force layouts, uh, which are really fun, but it was kind of a pain to get this working the way I was hoping to. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was a really fun problem to try to figure out. So the next section is, I think actually you mentioned that this was an area of interest to you on the previous time you were on the podcast, and that's GitHub languages and mm -hmm. analyzing GitHub. And so it starts off by just saying, here's all the languages that we use on GitHub. And this is across all of the different people in their personal repositories too, right? 
Uh, no, this is oh, just okay. at ThoughtBot. So oh, okay. a lot of, but this also includes all of our investment time projects too. Yeah, yeah. Did this leverage stuff you had already done? Kind of. It was more. I I kind of understood how the GitHub API worked. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of able to easily, or at least more easily, pull in the information. The GitHub API is really well documented, so it was not a painful process to gather all this data. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The y-axis is the number of repositories, right? Yep. Yeah. So, and this is everything. It's not just ones that were created or worked on in 2014. It's everything um, on the Thoughtpad account. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's no surprise. It's probably no surprise. Ruby, JavaScript. CSS are the most popular ones, but the next most popular one is shell. I think yep. that comes from uh, dot files and stuff. Yeah. And then after that, CoffeeScript, uh, then Objective-C and Swift. Mm-hmm. So then Haskell, C, C++, and it goes off from there, long tail. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of those less popular ones, if you go to the next graph, show in 2014 the new repositories created by by language and it shows a lot of those taking actually it's across since 2009 Mm -hmm. um shows a lot of those newer ones taking off in 2013 and 2014 specifically haskell Haskell. yeah haskell is kind of the big one Mm -hmm. um and go and swift were also kind of popular in 2014 as well like you can kind of see the growth and i I was hoping to find a way to, like, I was trying to find a creative ways to display this, but I think just kind of a line graph says enough. I think we have like a pretty awesome uh, company in that we're always like pushing each other, like trying to learn new languages. And you have these people who are Ruby developers, but have passions in other languages. And, you know, we also have a company that with iOS developers who will jump on something new and start exploring and start playing around with it, trying to integrate it into their work. And I think that's, that's something that, you know, I I really wanted to display and show in this report. Right. And the language with the most new repositories in 2014 was Swift. Yep. So that's pretty crazy. Yep. Scala is one that's on the list. And I know that you've actually been working in Scala for, for a while now. Uh, for, yeah, I guess three, four months. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was hoping that we had more Scala repositories, but <laughs> right now I think it's just me, Sean and Mike, uh, in Stockholm. Yeah. But it's something that we're still playing around with and trying to push. How has it been doing something different? It's been great. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I also just really like working in Scala. I love mm-hmm. the language. It's really hard. To, it was really hard to go back to Ruby for, uh, this project in particular. Um, really? That's yes. something. It was, I mean, just because I expected types to be there, and then, of course, they're not, and <laughs> I, was, I was a little disappointed. Yeah. So it's worth noting that the Scala project that you're doing is actually an Android app, right? Yes. And written in Scala. So that's that's doubly a whole new platform and a whole new language. Has that been exciting, interesting, challenging? What is it, how's it been? A little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's great because Sean is incredibly knowledgeable on Scala on Android, and he speaks really highly of it. And I definitely like he's been able to show me like why it's like writing an mm-hmm. Android app in Scala is a great way to go. Mm-hmm. He's also very, very knowledgeable about the language. So I'm just with Scala. I mean, there's so many different ways to do things that you can just kind of write code like you write Java, and then you 
kind of figure like this much better way to do things and uh it just kind of changes your workflow i think that that's interesting i, I want i don't want to cross the streams too much but like on on build phase this week which you can listen to at buildphase.fm our ios podcast you know gordon was i don't want to speak for him but came to the realization that rather than necessarily going full out functional and just trying to leave everything behind maybe starting out more from okay let's take the objective c we're writing put it in place in swift but then start to evaluate and think about how we can progress from there and it sounds like in scala it's somewhat similar like where you're starting out writing java and then you use functional programming techniques and what scala gives you to transition that code into something which is for lack of a better term like more native to the language yep um, and that's kind of the approach we've been taking to the project, uh, just sort of like writing things out and then kind of finding the places to refactor and make more Scala-like. Right. Yeah. And stand-up today, Joel was saying that he just learned that Ruby supports function currying on procs and methods. You can do function currying. And these functional programming techniques that we're learning in Haskell and, and, and Scala and everything are all – you can do them – in lots of different places, I think, is is sort of my takeaway from all this. You can do it in lots of different places, but you don't want to do it when it's like at the expense of the nature of that language and that mm-hmm. platform and what, what you're doing. So you do need to be careful. That's sort of something I've been thinking of a lot about lately. Mm. You, next uh, web app, you're going to use Scala instead of Ruby? Uh, <laughs> I don't, don't know if I'm going to go that far. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So the second to last section on the page is all the conferences that we spoke at. And there's a lot here. And the dots travel nicely across them. Where did this data come from? Because I didn't think we had this data. So we have a conference sign-up sheet. Mm -hmm. And that's where I pulled in all the data from. And then apparently I missed a couple of people just because they didn't put their information in the conference sign-up sheet. Mm -hmm. So they sort of just pinged me and I added it later. Um, I, I was trying to avoid like just kind of flashy graphics and whatnot. And then I just completely ignored what I was trying to <laughs> accomplish. Um, and I just went for completely 100% flashy. Right. And yeah, this was just kind of a fun thing. I was kind of floating around in my head. Uh, I used D3 again for this. And something that I noticed is we don't speak a lot in the US, like within the US. If you huh. notice like some of the red dots, they yeah. usually travel elsewhere. That's huh. partially my fault, by the way. I apologize <laughs> for that. I, I think that historically that hasn't been the case, but it's certainly the case in, in this. It was, yeah, it was something really interesting I noticed with this. And it was just something I, yeah, I kind of had floating around my head just to create something cool. Did we speak on every continent except Australia? Yeah, I it looks so. like it. Huh. I mean, Antarctica, but. Well, okay, yes. <laughs> we'll have to run a conference in Antarctica. So we can go there and speak. So that brings us to the last section, which is an exciting section because it, it's also, like you said in the beginning, it, it's the origination of how this all got started last year, which was the chat statistics. Mm-hmm. And Gordon, who is one of the co-hosts of the iOS podcast, Build Phase, is re- the reigning champion of cursing. Of course, of course. <laughs> So 21% of all cursing in the chat room comes from him. Yes, that's one person. He should both be incredibly proud and incredibly ashamed, I think. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think he's going to feel ashamed. I, 
he was pretty proud of it. Yeah. Um, also interesting to note, like Mike Burns is our most prolific chatter in Thoughtbot. One of the things that wasn't presented here, but I was curious when I saw how many messages Mike had done, and it was 9,983, how he related to other people. Yeah. Like, was he far and away higher, or was that sort of normal, and he just happened to be the highest? I actually, I don't know. I didn't work on this section or collect the data oh, for okay. it, but it's something we could probably pull, Yeah, given that we have our enti- like an entire years of chat logs <laughs> just sitting in a CSV file somewhere. Yeah. And you might not know the answer to this question, then. Uh, do you happen to know what the longest message is, the 869-character one? I don't. Okay. But we can probably ask Gabe. Okay. He, he'll know. And also, we have a lot of emoji usage in uh, at Thoughtbot. Yeah. 7% of all messages contain an emoji? Yep. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's, we have a problem. Right. I think we have well, a serious so problem. So 1% of all messages contain a curse word. Yes. So we actually have more emoji than cursing, which I guess is okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Keeping it professional, I guess. Yeah. Well, and the most popular emoji is a thumbs up. So... It's positive. It's positive and professional. Yes, yes. So this is all really interesting. Where do you think we're going to take it next year for 2015? Um, I don't know yet. I guess it depends on like what our gear looks like, um, what kind of things we write about, what kind of technologies we play with. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we had a we had a Basecamp thread with just ideas that everyone was uh, posting. Um, and kind of giving suggestions. There was a lot of things that I wish we looked at, like what a day looks like in our chat rooms, Mm -hmm. Um, for instance, like how do we communicate with each other? Um, How often do we talk between offices? Uh, What else did I want to do? I think like also uh, analyzing Git commit messages, like how we commit. Mm -hmm. Um, There's kind of been a push to create longer commit messages, which um, I think would be kind of interesting to see commit messages and maybe how that affects our workflow. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it'd be also interesting to dig through more history, uh, like in the GitHub languages graph, um, when we showed like how we adopted new technologies over the years, it'd be interesting to kind of see how maybe our GitHub activity has changed over the years or how our blog has changed over the years. Uh, I mentioned, I want to see like how our design team has kind of evolved throughout the years. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, we also have new offices, so it'd be really interesting to see like if that affects kind of our day-to-day internet life mm-hmm. um, in any way. And so, yeah, for 2015, it'd be great to like focus more on storytelling and mm-hmm. also probably start collecting the data a lot earlier so we're not rushing. Yeah. So like you said, it's a Rails app, right? So in theory, this could live on. The data from 2015 can be loaded into this and change and new things could be added and yep. everything. So in theory, it, there'd be more time to build, sort of build up the data and before having to do that part during the end of the year thing. Yeah. I guess the only problem is, yeah, we are collecting a lot of data, so we'd have to probably host something ourselves. Yeah. Well, it's all really interesting. I'm looking forward to the 2015 report. And uh, thank you again for joining me on the show. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. And show notes for this episode can be found at giantrobots.fm slash 130. I'm Chad Baitel. I was joined today by Joanne Cheng, and this episode was recorded and produced by Tom Obarski. Thanks, everybody. Bye.